Angel and Paul are going to share on what they call uh, going back to go forward, um, which is part of the EQ series that we're doing, Pete Scazzera. And uh, as you can see, what we've got done so far, which if you remember I shared, I'm just going to give you a synopsis. So I know some of your visitors, so I want to give you kind of set a platform for them to minister off, is that your emotions are important. And often within the context of churches, no, no, cowboys don't cry, put your emotions down, it's about your faith. But no, our emotions are important because they're always an invitation, especially the negative ones, to go and meet with Jesus. And um, then I went on to show you that we need to, oh, that's a spelling mistake, yourself, to know yourself, not yourself, um, to know God better. And we, we looked at the process of going beneath the surface and looking at the stuff which is our false self, our shadow. Psychologists call it our shadow. I prefer the term false self because we grow up and we, 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 we appropriate lies about who we are and about who God is. And that stops us from knowing God because we think of him in a way that he, who he's not. And then what we did was we, last week we did a journey through the wall. And uh, we, we looked at, uh, sorry, that wasn't last week. That was, that was last week, the journey through the wall. And the reason why I've changed that was because the journey through the wall is a moment. And let me just show you this briefly, is that when we're born... We land up with our false self as opposed to our true self, which is where we are going to inherit. So if you take Israel, for example, you can imagine being born in Egypt. Kind of, that's not who they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in the land of Canaan. God takes them out to take them in. And that's what God does for us. He, we, we are born, but then we are born again. And then we've got to ask the question, do we choose to go back to our true self and denounce the lies that we believe? And sometimes we don't even know that they're lies. We just kind of believe them as truth. And if we don't choose that, then we hit a wall. And, and it's a much harder process to go through because a wall is generally a place where it's full of pain. And uh, like I said, it's the best way I can describe it. It's like uh, when, it, when a dam recedes because of a drought, what's underneath is going to be shown. And we're going to have to deal with it. And that's, we can sometimes, a lot of people choose not to. And they land up just staying in the desert. And like I said up front, this is a courageous journey because... I've said this before, and for the sake of visitors, I don't like open water swimming because it's slimy. I don't know what's underneath. And honestly, I, I prefer swimming in the sea than open water um, because what's going to pop up in front of you? And you've seen all those movies when a dead body pops up. But it's kind of like that's the thing. Is it's, it's that kind of fright. You look at yourself and you see, oh, my word, what is that? But God's asking us to do this. And what we've got is we've got some tools. That's all they are. This is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And through his life, his burial, his death, and his resurrection, we are reconciled back to God with abundant life. That is the gospel. This is not the gospel, but this helps us understand who we are so we can know God better, so that we can walk out this gospel in a more fruitful way. So we have freedom sessions. We have the limits which we're going to speak about. Guess what? We all have limits. And guess what? As you get older, your limits become more and more. Enneagram, genogram, we're going to speak about this morning, the practices. So if I go back, what we've done is we looked at those tools of the Freedom Session and the Enneagram two weeks ago. Louise and, and Leisha shared amazingly well. We've got a workshop on the 12th and on the 20th of this month where we'll meet you in the, the foyer area. And Leisha's going to take us through that process in a lot more depth so that we can understand who we are, so that we can know who we are, and deal with some of the stuff so that we can get closer to God. Many of us know of God, but we actually don't know him. And one, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I pray that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. For what purpose? To know him, to gnosko, 
The word ginosko is, is, is used in the context of a husband and wife knowing each other, the intimacy. And that's the whole reason why we're doing this. So today, as I said, we're going to do that. Now, a word on the Enneagram. What did we say when we started to share on this? Please do not go and research it on the internet. What have some people done? Because what's going to happen is, why don't you go and Google Bill Johnson? Why don't you go and Google John Piper? Two men on opposite extremes of theology. Guess what? You're going to get some really positive stuff, but you're going to get some ghastly stuff too, aren't you? Go and Google Sozo. You will get some positive stuff, and you will get some negative stuff. Go and Google Enneagram, and you will freak out, because it looks like Eastern mysticism. But guess what? It wasn't found in Eastern mysticism. So if you're going to go that route, then we need to stop meditating. But the Word of God says meditate on His Word. Meditate on His goodness. And we as the Western church have lost that art. And then what's happened is, is the Eastern mysticism and the Eastern religions have taken on meditation and they have made it their own. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It's still truth. This Enneagram started with our Desert Fathers. If you want to know who the Desert Fathers are, go Google that. But in essence, they were the guys who went, actually, our Christianity is being infiltrated by Rome and by all of these other junk kind of things. We are going out into the desert because we want to engage God for who he is, and we're going to create our own communities outside of that. Was it right in, in the whole context? No, because they just took themselves out of the world. <laughs> and were they supposed to be an influence there? But the point is, these were men and women who were seeking hard after God, who came across these principles, which we now have today. It is not occultish. Some people think that it's rooted in the occult. Because he has a quote. The Enneagram opens our eyes to our need for a savior. It is not the gospel. God makes his truth available to all. People from viewpoints outside of the church have access to truth as much as we do. Though we may not agree with it where it gets taken or interpreted, at its core, truth will still be truth. Go read Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And then ultimately, the term occult means hidden knowledge. And the current teachings of Enneagram are anything but exclusive or hidden, nor are they dark. They actually shine light on the darkness to allow God's light to shine better in us. If you think we are preaching something that is not the gospel, if you think we are doing something that is not helpful, come and speak to us. Why don't you seek first to understand before being understood? Because we can then take you on a journey to show you, you know what, when I first saw the Enneagram, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I went on the internet and I researched it. And I actually pushed it away until I went, okay, wait, hold on a second. Let me have an open mind. And as I started to go down the Christian roots of it, I went, oh my word, what an amazing tool, which I have found fruit in my life, which I've expressed over the last couple of weeks when I've preached. So can I ask you, if you have concerns, come and speak to us. Let us give you. So, here are some amazing resources. Take out your phones and take a picture. If you want to go and research the Enneagram, go to these particular books. Go to Beth McCord on your Enneagram coach on Instagram. And here are some amazing Christian books. The Christian Perspective by Richard Raw in particular will give you an understanding of what this process is. But it is an amazingly powerful tool to get to know ourselves better so that we can get to know God again. Is this the gospel? No. But it's an amazing tool for us to get to know Jesus and to walk out this gospel in a more fruitful, effective way on this earth. Make sense? So now that I've had my rant, 
Aber sie gas. So the Enneagram's fascinating um, for a million reasons. One of them being that Ange and I, I mean, we've always known this, but we discovered more and more how opposite we are. And so now I have absolute freedom to be a nutcase this morning. And for the evenly killed, I have my lovely wife who uh, has done all the research and prep. Can everyone just stand up quickly? Okay. Put your right leg in. Okay, no, 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 no. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> you get a kick. Okay, just, just, let's, just, let's loosen up a little bit, guys, because it's chilly and I want your full attention for this vibe. Okay, fantastic. I don't know what just happened to the Bradshaws, but that's a good thing. Okay, sit down, guys. All right, welcome to our teaching on the genogram. Angie and I ran through it last night and we came to 31 minutes, but the truth is we need three hours of your time. So I'm putting on a timer for 30 minutes, otherwise we're not going home today. All right. Go. Right. Um, so, uh, just so you know that it's, it's very difficult for me to be up here because of the narrative script over my life, which was, you're fantastic, but every time you shine, someone gets hurt and it's destructive or you think you know everything. So, I just want to first give thanks because I can stand up here because of the, the journey that God has taken me on. Amen. So, he's healed stuff. And it's, it's an ongoing process, so what Pete Scazzaro says is you're never going to be done with your genogram because new things will crop up, and then you can look back and see how they've come and played a role in your life. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to read my intro. Hey? Go bananas. Are you going to do your thing? No, do it. Okay, I'm going to read my intro. Okay. Who you are is not just your personality. It is far more than that. It is your genetics, those dominant and recessive genes that shape the way you look, like Gray and M's red hair, and the way Paul and his brothers look the same but different. It is your home language and the culture you were born into. It is your socioeconomic upbringing. Did you have enough or too little or more than enough? It is opportunities you weren't or were given to discover your strengths and weaknesses, talents and passions. It is the patterns that are found in your family through the generations, those generational sins, blessings and curses that can be mapped out on a genogram. It is how these patterns and behaviors have shaped the way you relate to people and the way you relate to God, because ultimately how you know how to relate is how you know how to relate. If you can't submit to authority in earthly relationships, you'll be incapable of submitting to God. If you can't be vulnerable and honest in earthly relationships, you will battle to be open and vulnerable to God. Have you ever wondered why you don't want to ask God some things? We use genograms in order to pick up patterns, those generational sins, relational patterns, narrative scripts, and generational blessings, which give us insight into what God needs to break off, heal, and restore. Why we do this is so that we can be transformed, so that our children, physical and spiritual, so those people that we walk with that aren't necessarily blood, um, don't have to go through these battles, and hopefully because our heart's cry is to know God and be known by him. All right, so we're going to pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you preordained this moment before the laying of the foundations of the earth. So everyone who's in this room is meant to be in this room. I pray for open hearts. I pray for uh, seatbelts to be buckled in, Lord, as we go on a really interesting but good, good journey to see how our, our lineage in you, Jesus, is forged. Because we want to be closer to you, we want to be closer to our Father, and closer to Jesus. After all, Lord... You were not grafted into us, we were grafted into you. So you are our tree, and we focus on that this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. So, um, I decided, let me first prove that we're not just making this up. The genogram is a diagram that just shows what happens in your family tree. And as Gary's explained many times before, if we look at Abraham and Sarah, who got impatient about their promised child, 
which caused Abraham to sleep with Hagar, which yielded an Ishmael. That's the beginning of a pattern. There was a rebellion and impatience that caused something illegitimate. Abraham and Sarah then had Isaac, who was the promised child, who then married Rebecca, who then perpetuated a pattern. Number one, of Abraham lying that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife to save his own bum, which was then perpetuated with Isaac and Rebecca, who lied to save his own bum. So now cowardice sneaks in as a secondary pattern. We see a pattern generating. Um, same down to Jacob and Esau. There's deception over there. Uh, the squiggly lines mean strained relationships. The broken line means a broken relationship. But we're not even going to go that deep this morning. It's just for the guys who are curious. Um, so then in Jacob's line, we come down to Joseph, who chooses to restore and undo that work. And that's the point we are at here today, where Joseph decided to treat his, uh, help me with this, you were saying, to treat his, his sons equally, okay? So it was Manasseh and Ephraim, who in particular he treated as, as equals. There wasn't any, uh, a, a favoritism where we see with Ishmael and Isaac, we see a favoritism. Esau and Jacob, we see a favoritism. The, the blessing here was uh, misappropriated through deception, another pattern. And also Joseph restored relationship with his family when he had the opportunity to punish them or to get his revenge. He actually restored family. So here's our first biblical example of actual restoration going through a genogram. Genogram is a fancy word for a family tree. Okay. All right. I'm going to gloss over these quick, my Is that all right? Okay, cool. This is my favorite. So I don't know if you guys were ever in a community or in a, in a, in a setting where you were told people who dig up the past are archaeologists. Like what's happened in your life is meant to stay dead and buried. There's no such thing. Guys, we, 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 we most highly prize a book that is all history. We definitely believe in the past, and we definitely believe in looking up the errors of the past to learn from them. I mean, that's the whole point of the Bible. So those who cannot learn from the past are doomed to repeat it, and there are some things that I found in my family line that I do not want to repeat. And I'm sure right now you guys are already wondering um, about things that uh, you should worry about in your family lines. All right, so how to plot a geneogram. A geniogram. It's a genogram. I joked with Gary because I'm so into the enneagram thing now, I'm going to call it a geniogram. The genogram. Okay. Squares are boys. Circles are girls. Okay? And the reason being that when you start to articulate this thing over a greater scheme, let's say you go back four generations and two generations down, it's a lot easier to read when you're using a legend. Okay? So squares for boys, circles for girls. Paul and Angie, husband and wife. Then you start to plot your family. We decided to go up to my siblings. So here's me, there's Wesley and Nick. There's Angie, there's Ashley. We're a little bit lower down because we are the principal story in this genogram. Okay? If we go a little bit higher, we land up with our parents, Graham and Lee, Mark and Linda. Okay? Plot a little bit further, and we come down to our little red dragons, Gray and Emily. So that, in its raw state, is a genogram. Okay? Not much information going on there. So now you populate it. You guys should try this at home. It's actually very interesting. If we populate it just with the characteristics we wanted to look for, all the little green candles are the professed, confessed Christians in our family. That's a pretty healthy-looking genogram. And all of the little notes are professed, confessed, performed musicians, which is pretty cool. My mom's actually a recorded jazz musician doesn't perform anymore. Do another one quickly. 
So this is looking at, you know, our children have red hair because, here's the ultimate answer, okay. There, it's Tiller, okay, so that's two, three generations up, that's Angie's Omar's mom, sister, somewhere up in the top of the tree, okay. Then Martin, which is Opa, okay. Then Pierre, Marsha, Deline, which are the siblings of Linda, Angie's mom, You're seeing a bit of pattern here. Then Angie, then Ashley, then Pierre, then Brandon, M, and Gray. We've got a little bit of a redhead thing going on there, and that's just her side of the family tree, never mind the Scots and the Irish on my side of the family tree. Okay. Angelique. Just to clarify that with the redhead gene, you actually both need to carry the recessive gene. So it's not all me. It's, it's Paulie as well. Just to give him a little bit of credit. And um, the red hair, I know I've got brown hair now, but my sister and I both were born with red hair and it just disappeared, unfortunately. So hoping that won't happen for Gray and M. Um, so when you're mapping your genogram, these things are the things that you need to take into account. Your key events, your generational sin, generational brokenness, and generational sin and brokenness that I carry forward. So the patterns that you've inherited that you have now chosen to walk forward um, unintentionally or intentionally. Okay, next slide, this one. Okay, so these are the key events. You can see there are a whole lot of things that are listed like culture, socioeconomics, Christian, non-Christian, so your faith, and being afforded opportunities to discover things you're good at or passionate about, like music or sports or art or drama. So we have a friend, um, Amy McDougall, and her dad dared her to do the 94.7 one year, said you'll never be able to do it. So she got on the bike, um, and she was really good at it. And now, um, what has she won? She's won everything. Uh, she's now Tokyo Downhill World Champ. And so that's something that's a key event in her life. Her, her dad did her, and she had the means, and so that's something that she stumbled across. Um, and then we look at someone like Dale. His parents encouraged him. They gave him a guitar. They said, you can sing. He um, was nurtured by his entire family, and now he's the amazing monster that he is today. Woo! But it's actually so interesting because there's a lady called Rachel Yehuda. She has her PhD in neuroscience. And she said that our genine, our genes, our genes, not genes, although we love genine, our, our genes can actually change in trauma. So it's called adaptation. And what happens is your genes change to cope with the situation. But then what happens is that gene gets passed down to the next generation and to four generations, Nikki says. So... Um, you inherit that trauma. So she did studies on survivors of the Holocaust and she isolated a stress gene and then she discovered that the stress gene was also present in the children of the Holocaust survivors and the children's children. Um, it was something that got switched on and activated and passed down. And she also discovered that pregnant ladies who had been part of the 9-11 attack, they also passed on that stress gene to their children. Um, so that was the one. And then she quoted, because she comes from a very Jewish culture, Jeremiah 31, verse 29, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So that was quite interesting for me. And then there's another lady called Lyra Boroditsky, and she studied how language can shape you and how your language um, and your culture actually shapes your thinking. 
Um, and she studied, they studied an Aboriginal tribe, and those people are very well orientated, so they don't say left or right. They, they use cardinal instructions, so they use north, east, south, west. When you greet an Aboriginal person in that tribe, you don't say, how are you? You say, where are you going? And you have to answer northeast. Or, and you say, could you look, there's a spider on your southwest leg or something like that. So they, they have become very well orientated people. So like a five-year-old in that group could tell you where north is, whereas if um, this, morning, <laughs> this morning Anita said to me, is Gray's room south-facing? And I went, I think the sun sets that side. I remember the sun sets. I think that's, it's south-facing. I think it's south-facing. So that was quite interesting. And she also said that um, chronologically, when we want to arrange things, we'll arrange it from left to right because that's the way we write. But the Hebrews and the Arabic Arabic people write the other way, from right to left. So chronologically, they'll explain things differently from right to left. And even if you look at things like um, in Spanish and German, you've got feminine and masculine things. So if you're describing a bridge... In German, it is feminine, and in Spanish, it is masculine. So then they will stereotypically, not always, but stereotypically, Spanish people will describe bridges um, as strong and sturdy. And um, German people will might, I have to be careful here because we have German people here who <laughs> might correct me, um, describe bridges as elegant or beautiful, things like that. Okay. Next one. Thank you. We'll give you the clicker. Thank you. Right, generational sins that we can carry forward. These are just a couple of them. Alcoholism, anger, adultery, abuse. That's a general idea of things that can be carried on through the generations. Next one. Um, I like the stories here. Do you want to tell the stories of some of these guys? I like the stories here. Do you want to tell the stories of some of these guys? (laughs) So um, this genogram is of my dad's side, and he said it's fine if I, I talk about this. So that's very important as well. This is not a mudslinging contest. And it's not to unearth things and make people feel uncomfortable. I said, Dad, do you mind if I share? No, he doesn't mind at all. So just to let you know up front, my um, dad is a recovered alcoholic. He runs a halfway house um, out on Bears Nordia to help um, young guys who actually have serious drug addictions and they've tried to get clean and now they're in a, in a safe environment where they can be loved and nurtured um, and hopefully get back onto their feet and function as part of society again. So if you look at the Archibald is my, my grandfather, I never met him, um, but his two brothers had an alcohol addiction that was so bad, the one died in a car accident because he'd been drinking, and the other one had alcohol poisoning, and he died. Um, my dad's brother was an alcoholic. My dad's half-sister in the UK, um, so my gran... Um, came from the UK, she had a baby out of a wedlock which she gave up for adoption and then she came out to South Africa and started um, a new family with my dad's dad. Um, So you see in that line there are three alcoholics and although Ash and I have broken the chain, we are not alcoholics, we have a workaholic tendency. So that's something that's carried through. So we have an addiction to rather working instead of drinking. So although I've been freed of one thing, I need to be freed of another thing. So as... As we were saying, you know, work in progress, work in progress. Okay, next slide. Then generational brokenness, you might be able to identify some of these things in your family tree. Um, the one that I mapped out, which I found very, very interesting, was um, in my Oma's line, which was premature death. So her dad died at 38 from double pneumonia. 
and then her mum remarried, and they, they had three children, and two of those children died prematurely. One slipped in the bath and broke her neck. The other one had a car accident in his early 20s. But here's where the pattern gets really interesting. So um, car accidents in early 20s. Then the next line, um, Auntie Clayton, who's Harriet, um, her husband dies early, um, but already from her line there's someone... So if you look at that line, you can see there's already someone who died from a car accident. Then the next one is in, um, you can see Charmaine and Andrew and Moira and Rosalind and Celeste, who were twins. Rosalind died from a car accident in her early 20s. Then Charmaine had three kids, and the one little boy was on the farm driving a quad bike, and he drove into a tree, and he died. So it's, it's this line that's come through of premature death that is very, very prevalent in there. Line. Okay. Again, I did ask for permission. I phoned my Omar. I didn't, I'm not just putting all the stuff out here and making people feel uncomfortable. So then general bro um, generational brokenness carried forward. You need to ask Holy Spirit to come and speak to you about things that you need to change, restore, have healed. Yeah, I think let's pause right there. Um, and let's just, let's just pray into this point quickly. Who's feeling 100% comfortable with this? Okay, good. Nearly nobody. Great. Because it's difficult stuff, you know. Um, you're probably thinking of things now. I had a great-grandfather. I, I had somewhere on my grandfather's side, I had, what would she be, a granny-in-law? I don't know. Anyway, there was someone up there who decided to poison one of my great-grandfather's brothers with iron filings in his meals. And like, it's just there's, there's crazy stuff in our trees. And I just want to take an opportunity for the Lord to massage in what he's doing today and not get our attention fixed on on the brokenness, so if you'll if you pray with me, guys. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into this thing now as you, as you bring things up, Lord, as you percolate things to the top. That we would not leave here today with any damage done, but with information, the information that can set us free, Lord. That if anything's coming up in mind, coming to mind now in the way of uh, generational patterns, specifically, Lord, things that we've seen in our families, that because we're grafted into you, Jesus, we're able to say this far and no further, Lord, and then, Holy Spirit, you would do the work that you would equip us to break these patterns in our families. And where wisdom is required, counseling is required, Lord, that you'd give us the wisdom to go and seek those things. Holy Spirit, I pray now as we continue that you would, you would just begin to massage and work on people now I'm praying for a miraculous break-in today. I was saying to Gary, I believe it can be done today, guys. So, Lord, whoever's heart is ripe and ready for this, Lord, I pray that this, this work begins today, that they leave with a new root system for their family tree. Amen. Right. Sorry, right. So relational patterns are the things that um, Paul was talking about earlier on where you draw dotted lines or solid lines or you put two lines through it to denote the, the kind of relationship. And it takes quite a lo um, long time to go through every listed quite a few things here um, that can help you so start when you could map births and deaths and natural. Um, and as you can see in Abram's life, there was also sexism because the women weren't treated very well. They were treated as kind of possessions or, you know, I can lie about this lady and it's fine. She can go to someone else, that kind of thing. So those are patterns that need to be broken off. What I really found fascinating from Pete Scazzaro is he said, um, these relational patterns carry through. 
So you can have a PhD, you can study scripture every day, you can, have been in, you can be in the church for 30 years, but if you don't fix these relational patterns, when conflict arises, especially in a church setting, you revert to your 12-year-old self and how you saw things, conflict worked out in your family. So if in your family everybody shouts, if in your family everybody rages, or you learnt because everyone's shouting and raging, I'm going to withdraw, or I'm going to sulk, or I'm going to whatever. That is how you're going to relate. Even as a 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 6-year-old, that's what's going to happen when you come into conflict. Because you haven't dealt with these relational patterns and asked God to heal that so that you can relate in a healthy way. And he says um, a great way you can say, I notice and I appreciate, but I prefer. So you can say, I see where you're coming from. And you don't have to say you're wrong. You just say, I see where you're coming from, but this is where I'm coming from. And that's quite healthy. What was he saying? Um, something about mature confrontation or mature conflict or something? There's a point at which you could literally look at a black and white like you're talking to a book and not to a person. And you can have a straightforward, mature conversation. And I did find it very interesting, though, that he did highlight quite dramatically that even if you've got a PhD, you do default to your 12-year-old self. And it's specifically in the church, and I think it's because it's an incubator. It's a safe place for us to, um, to lash out or to be secure emotionally. So you'll find in the church, if something upsets you, you're more likely to make a Facebook post than address to the person. And I think that's God walking us through this. Um, we, we need to know the truth is that you do not have to flare up and be enraged and swing all the way over, that you won't have your emotional integrity and right taken away if you address things in a calm and measured way, which is hard for fruitcakes like me. So I know that there are other guys here who actually revel in their raging and their emotional outbursts, but it's not the way of Jesus. Um, there's only one place for it, and that would be when it comes to challenge the truths of God in the way with Jesus flipping tables. I mean, it took all of that to get him to a point to flip the tables in the temple, and it was an absolute injustice. Otherwise, Jesus was a pretty evenly killed guy, you know, going, why are you freaking out? The boat's sinking, so what? You know, there's, there's an emotional maturity to looking around you, watching the world fall apart and going, but let's talk about it first. So why types of attachments are so important is it it affects to people in your family, how you relate to people in your family and people around you in the work situation and how you relate to God. And there was a lady, Mary Ainsworth, who did this study based on what her professor had studied called The Strange Situation. And she had all these steps that she followed. So what she would do is she would, and she studied 100 families and she would put a mom and a child in the room and then they would do different scenarios like the mom would leave and then the mom would come back and then they would see how the child was consoled. Is the child inconsolable? Did the child console? And then go back to whatever they were doing. And that's how they worked out that there are these types of attachments. So secure attachment is when the child will be upset that the mom is gone, but when the mom returns... Um, be consoled, and then carry on doing whatever they're doing. Then insecure attachments, they're anxious or ambivalent, is when the mom returns and the child is inconsolable. They're just so anxious after that um, separation that they, they can't function properly now. And then avoidant is when they're so angry, when the mom comes back, they're so angry with the mom that they either lash out physically or they turn posture themselves away from their mother. So they'll put their back towards their mother, like, I don't want to speak to you anymore. Um, and then there's also disorganized, which is a combination of these two, anxious, ambivalent, or avoidant. And if you think about how we relate to God, doesn't this just come out? Like, you've got a problem, now you're avoidant. You turn your back, I don't want to talk to God about this. This is too much for me. 
Or you say, um, I don't know if I can trust you, don't leave me, I need you so much, but I'm not really sure if you're going to be there for me because I don't know if my needs are going to be met. So um, that was quite interesting. Uh, it was quite cool that Ange, while she was describing this to me last night, she said, like, like Emmett Gray. So for those who have kids, think about your kids, kids quickly. And this is not a uh-oh. <laughs> Emmett Gray, when they see us, run up to us if we've been out, because we're out all the time as musicians and ministering and what have you. They'll run up to us, give us a hug, go, hi, mom, I love you, mom. And then we won't see them again for the next four or five hours because they've got that secure attachment where we've clearly done, I'm not quite sure what the secret is, but we've done something right where they just, they know that we are safe and loved. And when Gray has a meltdown, I have this most beautiful relationship with Gray. He's a redhead and there's a disposition that comes with it. Don't pretend that the stories are true. So that's exactly what happens. He musters up everything and he stomps to his bedroom and he, he literally, while he's processing this, he goes, Dad, I need to go lie down because he knows his processing method. This kid is seven years old and he's more mature than half of us. And he goes up into his bed and he climbs onto his bed and he absolutely explodes atomically. But he doesn't put it on me. He doesn't expect me to fix it. And when I go in five minutes later, he goes, Dad, I don't know what happened. I just got so angry about this thing. Can we talk about it? What? Come on. And, and, and that's the secure attachment is that Gray's allowed to be furious around me, but he doesn't put it on me. I'm not there to solve his problems. I'm his dad and I'll walk him through them. But he knows that he needs to mature past the point of his temper. Gray's challenge in life is going to be his temper, which once again, yeah, see the eyes? Oh, you think she's a precious little sweetie pie. Oh, my gosh. Uh, through through Angie's family line is furious tempers and professional boxes. So there's a lot of... That's it, just true. There's a lot of that going on on that side. And pray for me. Because uh, <laughs> Emily's a redhead too, and it's coming still. But we have that secure attachment, guys, and it's beautiful. Fight for it with your kids. If you can have a secure attachment where your children are allowed to be furious in your presence. Not at you, but they're like, I need to process, Dad. I'm furious. And you can walk them through that. Oh, it's me. Fantastic. It's the me show. Did I turn this off? I think I did. Uh, push the red button. Now that started a timer. This one here. Yeah. Joel, help me, bro. I'm so sorry. There we go. Narrative scripts. Narrative scripts. Richard, you biscuit. Richard spoke about words matter, words having power. I want to tell you an amazing narrative script in my life. Number one, my dad always taught us there's no such thing as divorce. So those who've been divorced, go with it. It's fine. It's not a condemnation. My dad taught me there's no such thing as divorce. So I grew up in my formative years going, hey, man, once you're in, you're in. That's it. So Ange is just stuck with me. There's no way we're ever going to get divorced because it's principle. It was a narrative script spoken over my life. Didn't really help when I got to 25 and mom pulled out the eraser and erased that and said, did you know your dad was married before? I was like, boop, 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 boop. hey, dad. Uh, I think mom's had a little too much wine. You won't believe what she told me last night. You know what dad said? Paulie, I'm driving through to Joburg. We need to talk. But the script is so deeply embedded in me. The spoken word, it actually doesn't matter. 
Anne just stuck with me, and that's what's got us through all of our big fights and what have you, as minor as they might be, is that I have a script embedded in me from my dad that will be embedded in gray that there's no such thing as divorce, that you fight until the last moment. Of course, there are exceptions to that. I'm not going into that. I just want to lift the condemnation off people who have been married before who you know, might be feeling that's a bit heavy. That was the one narrative script. The other one, now I don't believe that you can tell your kid, you know what, my boy, you can be anything you like. I can't be seven foot. Can we be really practical about this? We are built mechanically for certain things. You know what I can be? is a fairly decent cyclist, I've discovered. Hey? But seriously, so there are things you can be. And my dad, he, he rode the line of saying, Pauly, actually, I think you could pretty much do anything you like. And he would egg me on in everything. Here is a fully qualified musical wizard. Here is a guy who can't read Mary Had a Little Lamb in sheet music. But I can play, I don't know how many instruments. And that's because of that narrative script, the healthy version from my dad that, my boy, you just go for it. You can do anything. And Justin started calling it out in me a little bit more and more now as well. Ride hard and take chances and things like that. Speak narrative scripts over your kids, over your friends, over your family. So those two scripts in my life formed me. I'm not getting divorced. Good luck with that, the enemy. You're just not getting your way. And I can do anything I apply my mind to except be seven foot tall. Generational blessings, patterns which we need to start or continue. It's got my name on it, hey? Let's try again. Otherwise, Joel, if you could move it forward. Yeah, so generational blessings. What are the things that I want to start at my level of the genogram now for M and Gray? Number one, first and foremost, they must have every opportunity to know Jesus because aside from that, there is nothing. We can pretend, I can want them to be wealthy, I can want them to be happy, I can want them to be healthy. But a general blessing, general, generational blessing from Ange and I is that we are starting a generational line right now. Even though we've got that awesome history, you saw all the candles, lots of Christians in our family, of them being on fire for Jesus and understanding Jesus. We can't coerce them into it. They might get to 16 and decide it's not for them but we are going to give them every opportunity and I'm going to pass down the generational blessing of Jesus in my life to my kids in such a way that they'll pass it down to their, their kids. Hey, we're doing well, hey? That was 30 minutes. Okay, we're on the boop, boop. Um, and I, I, I want to blur the line a little bit here because I watched the way Gary leads his kids and I saw when Jordan said he wanted to swim and he wanted to be the best and I heard Gary saying, look, Boiki, it's going to cost. You're going to have to... You're going to have to practice really, really hard. But if you listen to me, we're going to get there. And I've slowly been watching from the sidelines over the years as Gary's just pushed Jordan and pushed Jordan and pushed Jordan. Jordan's pushed himself. And that's part of a generational blessing because you know what? Forget the sport. Jordan, I can see, has already been raised to be a guy who goes, hard work and perseverance gets me places. And he's taking that into his marriage. He's going to get married one day. And I'm telling you now, the lady that marries that guy, it's going to be set up for somebody who goes, this is hard work and perseverance. We're going to make this work. And that cooks my brain. That, you know, because I never really understood that. We were a quiet family. Um, apart from the narrative scripts, my, my parents didn't really push for things. Definitely not sport. I mean, jeepers, they, they, there was no sport in our family. There just wasn't. So I've got to start that whole thing from scratch now. 
But can you imagine having that momentum built into you from your parents that you walk into life working hard for your boss, being responsible for your family, and knowing that hard work and perseverance can get you to the goals that you want? Start those things now, guys. So after you've worked through your genogram, it's important to remember to forgive yourself and others. That there might be reconciliation that needs to happen, like the Matthew 18 thing. But um, just a word of caution with that. If someone is not aware of the fact that there's an issue between you, don't go and tell them, I forgive you for something that they're completely oblivious to. You actually have to walk it out with the Holy Spirit and go, do I need to address this? Or is this something that I just need to forgive between you and, and me? Lord, you know, you know my heart. Um, and then the last part is just consider other people's journey. They're following distance and state of activation. So um, I went to an equip, got really, really activated, full of love, full of truth, came back, spilled that love and truth onto my mom and law. It did not go well. So, <laughs> no, no, tell the story. Tell the story. <laughs> so she was not in a place. She was broken. They'd just gone through all the chemo and all the radiation. It was hard. She was, she was like, where were, she was going through, where were you, Lord? Um, I was going, he healed dad. That's where he was. And so we were chatting, 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 and I just got frustrated at the end because here I am going, but it was God. It was God. How can you turn around and say, I don't know if I believe that anymore? I'm like, how can you say that? So um, it actually caused such a huge rift because I had just been insensitive to where they were at in their journey. They were coping with a whole other set of things. I was in this place of activation of like, oh, let's love everyone and speak truth. And um, I think you really have to ask the Holy Spirit, like, do I need to say more? Do I need to stop? Sometimes you do need to speak truth. Sometimes you just need to go, whoa, okay, that's enough now. That's all that that little seed can handle. Don't pour buckets of water onto something that needs a tablespoon. Yeah. yeah. It's going to sound like I'm regurgitating what my awesome wife's already said, but it really is about following distances. And there might be some stuff that, there might be some questions that you've asked. You might have to phone grannies and grandpas before they're gone. Because if you wait too long with your genogram, one day the answers will not be forthcoming. And you can still navigate the stuff of the Holy Spirit. You don't need people, but you know how much easier it is to ask a human being, so was Omar Tiller's hair red? But the following distance thing, like as you go through this, you're going to want to reconcile things. You're going to want to speak to people. You're going to want to forgive and repent and the whole toot. And some people are just not going to be in that position. And just don't break down doors with a baseball bat of Jesus because that's not love, you know. We, we can do that. We can be like, this is the way, the truth, and the life. And people just aren't in that place to hear it. So this is where the, the cerebral part of it is, which is what's so wonderful about this as a tool. As Gary says, it's not gospel. But guys, there's a way to navigate this that doesn't hurt people and only builds you. It, it, this is only good for you. There's no part of this genogram that's bad for you unless you're going to dwell on the past. Okay. Is this me? See? Where would I be without my wife's notes? No, no, that's fine. I was just checking, I was just checking what's next. All right, cool. So I'm going to read that. All families are broken and fallen. All you guys, all of us guys. There aren't any clean genograms. If you look for it, you will find something that you might want to ignore. But it's there. None of us comes from perfect families with perfect parents. Most parents did the best they could with what they brought with them into adulthood. 
And it's likely that some of the things that did hurt us, such as criticism and rejection, were a result of what was handed down to them by their families of origin rather than a reflection on us or their love for us. My dad was never told by his dad, and maybe this is true for a lot of you guys, that he was loved. He knew it. He knew that his dad loved him. And my grandpa was one of the most loving, generous, charitable people ever. But there was never that verbal communication. And so the pattern that my dad broke is that Paulie, I love you, happened every single time he called or we visited or whatever. Our fear of bringing secrets and sin into the light, however, drives many people to prefer the illusion that if they don't think about it, it somehow goes away. It doesn't. Unhealed wounds open us up to habitual sin against God and others. Number one, let's just call it what it is. If you don't heal a wound, it's going to get infected and pussy, and it's coming out, guys. It's coming out at a family reunion or a phone call at 25 or something. It's coming out. It's coming out on your deathbed. We only had one of those moments with my dad, but it was awkward. He was like, listen, let me just tell you this one thing. I was like, no, (laughs) you don't want to hear those things then. Deal with them while you're in a healthy, mature place to deal with them. No, it was bad. It was awkward. Wes and I just walked out the room. We're like, did he just say what he would? Okay, let's go have McDonald's. (laughs) Um, But the ultimate illusion, guys, no matter how strong you think you are, and I know we've got a lot of strong personalities in the room. We're Joburg North. We're self-made men, even though God distinctly recalls making us. You are not, you are not good enough. You are not good enough. Only God is good enough to unpack this stuff. You can't do it by yourself, but you have to do it. I'm challenging you. You can't do it by yourself, but you have to do it. If you think you've just got issues in the family tree that you're going to park and just leave those because they're minor issues. Number one, you're losing out on extra freedom for free. God just wants to set you free for a new level. And number two, those blisters are going to pop. Oh, are you done? Am I wrapping up? Oh, my lovely wife. All right, so, Dorna de Silva is a genius when it comes to this sentiment. I haven't given you anything magical today. It's information. If you let that information turn into a spiritual bias or a dream or a nightmare, that's your responsibility. That's not how it works. This is information. Use it. Apply it. Allow your past, go back, guys, it's part of you, to inform you, okay, get the information, to change you, to go, okay, do I have a bad temper? Do I have a tendency to panic and lie when being confronted? Just for those guys, please, because I'm going to pray for you now. Who freaks out and tells a little white lie when they're confronted? Come on. Nobody. You're lying right now. Seriously. I'm still going to pray for you because that's rubbish. There's no way I'm the only guy who goes, well, it wasn't really 59 rand, mom. Stole the change. Come on. That's a common one. But let it change you. There are things in us, subtle things that we have to let it change you. And allow your past to bless you. What are those awesome things that have been passed down through the generations? How is it possible that my family tree is peppered with Christians and musicians? And then I don't go, maybe that's a great big deal of the reason why I'm a worship musician. Maybe I can honor and celebrate those people and actually be like, yo, you guys didn't even know you were sowing into a fourth generation, a kid that wasn't even named yet, a great-grandchild, Paul Elliott, who would be standing in Joburg North today teaching and leading. We need to celebrate up our tree. Look at your tree to honor the people who've gone before you. Where are we? We're there. We're there. I'd like to pray for you guys. Dalo, if you could come and 
be gentle, gentle behind us uh, on, the, on, on the band. If you'll stand with me, guys.